As settlers, I believe we have a lot to learn from our, the first peoples of this land. We are strangers to this land. And uh, last year at Mennonite Church uh, Convention in Kansas City, I became more convicted that we need to continue to learn together about the experience of the First Peoples here in, in this area. And uh, I had learned of the Princess Angeline film uh, through the Real Change paper and thought, well, I, with this workshop um, at the Doctrine of Discovery, I became inspired to say we need to be showing that film we need to let folks know the story of the first peoples here uh, so sandy osawa um, was the filmmaker at that time or of the princess angeline film and i was in conversation with her and she suggested that edith nelson edith your lawyer nelson would be a wonderful person to speak she been on the council of the Duwamish people and and has a vast collection of of knowledge of the Duwamish and e Edith carries with her the story of the Duwamish people because of the identity of her her grandmother just convicting her that she needs to continue to hold that identity so even though the Duwamish people are not federally recognized Edith's grandmother continued to say, you are Duwamish, while other groups joined federally recognized tribes. The, there was a small group of Duwamish people that stayed together and continued to hold the courage and fight for federal recognition. So I'm just grateful for Edith to continue to tell her story, and she's, she's come twice now, um, the three times that we've shown the Princess Angeline film, and I'm just grateful to continue to learn from her and her people. So thank you, Edith, for being with us today. Thank you for that lovely introduction. The Duwamish people are the indigenous people of this area. The time the settlers began arriving, the Duwamish people lived throughout what is now most all of western King County. To the south was the Puyallup tribe. To the north was the Snohomish and the Suquamish tribes. In 1851, the Duwamish tribe occupied at least 17 villages on Elliott Bay, the Duwamish River, the Black River, you notice most of them are water, so it was very significant you talked about water today, and uh, Lake Washington and Lake Sammamish. They hunted, harvested, and gathered food throughout other areas, and then retreated to their longhouses in the winter. I attended a, a program from the Shoreline Historical Museum last night about the crops, the, the history of crops grown in this area, in North King County area. And the uh, natives, the Duwamish people, would do controlled burning in order to propagate more plants and berries, which they also collected. They grew potatoes and, and uh, cabbage and uh, all kinds of uh, plants like we grow in gardens now for food, but uh, also lumber for and chopped trees and made uh, used the bark for weaving their baskets. They were very dependent on the land. Chief Self was the most powerful and famous chief in the Pacific Northwest at the time the settlers arrived. 
His mother was Duwamish, his father was Suquamish. He and tribal members spoke Lushutsi. He was known for his peaceful ways. Pioneers perceived him as an intelligent man striving to live peacefully with newcomers. They ended up naming the city for him, which is where Seattle got its name. When the first European-American immigrants arrived at Alki Point, Chief Self, along with other tribal members, greeted them. They helped them by providing clam juice for an ill infant whose food source was depleted on the long journey up uh, by boat. It is said they saved the child's life. They provided transportation by canoe, potatoes from their fields, and one of the settlers, Henry Yesler, started the first sawmill and the Duwamish provided labor. In 1855, the Point Elliott Treaty was presented to the tribes of the Northwest. Chief Self, who signed for the Duwamish tribe, was the first signature on the treaty. You can see a copy of it in the Cultural Center at Tulalip, if you're ever up there. It guaranteed fishing rights and reservations. The United States Senate ratified it in 1859. In return for the promise of land and fishing rights, the Duwamish turned over 54,000 acres of their homeland. Muckleshoot, or the uh, treaty was soon broken by European-American immigrants. Rather than a reservation, the Duwamish were told to go to some other place, such as the Muckleshoot or the Suquamish reservations. And stories that exist now talk about, you know, them finding, trying it and finding, you know, that there was not enough food, there was not enough uh, resources available, and they, their whole, their, all their generations had been at these one home sites, and so they ended up staying on their traditional villages, many of them, and uh, usually around, along the waterways. Chief Self's daughter, Princess Angeline, stayed in a little shack by the waterfront and supported herself by doing laundry for the settlers. One couple camping on the shores of Elliott Bay caught dogfish and sold the oil to support themselves. However, as the waterfront continued to develop, wiping out natural sustenance, they starved to death. Over 90 longhouses were burned to make way for development of the city. The villages were washed out when the Hiram locks were developed as it made the lakes rise beyond their original shorelines, completely wiped out the Black River. In 1865, the newly elected city fathers passed the first laws enacted by the city of Seattle, including one that banished the Duwamish tribe and all other native peoples from living within the city boundaries. In 1866, federal Indian agent Thomas Page recommended to the U.S. government that a reservation be established for the Duwamish. The settlers, including Seattle civic leaders, petitioned against it, and nothing came of the recommendation. The Duwamish tribe has been seeking federal recognition for over a century. In 1979, George, Judge George Bolt ruled that the Duwamish tribe had not existed continuously as an organized tribe from 1855 to the present. Therefore, the tribe was ineligible for fishing rights as promised by the treaty. In 1996, the Bureau of Indian Affairs denied federal recognition. After reviewing evidence submitted by the tribe showing continued existence, such as a, a copy of the 
of the 1925 Organization Treaty, which I have a copy of at home, um, the, the Bureau then reversed its decision after seeing all this evidence. In January 2001, the Duwamish Tribe finally won federal recognition. The Department of Interior's Bureau of Indian Affairs recognized the tribe, and it was one of the last acts of the Clinton administration. The Bush administration came into office and overturned the decision. The tribe has been working to get it back ever since. Currently, there's a request for the department to review additional information that's been provided. Meanwhile, friends of the tribe have been writing letters to President Obama, Secretary Jewell, and a bill is pending in, the, in Congress. We're still here. We have about 600 members. We have an active tribal council and a business organization called Duwamish Tribal Services. And now we have a longhouse located across from the Duwamish River down a West Marginal Way. It holds public events regularly, can be rented for weddings and parties, and it's styled after the original longhouses. Since building regulations don't allow an open fire pit in the center, we had the floor designed as a, as a basket. The architect agreed to do this, and it's been, it was designed by one of our members who's a traditional basket weaver. She even has a piece in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. The, uh, there's also an art display, including a basket uh, that was woven by Princess Angeline. Hours and location can be found at the website duwamishtribe.org. My Duwamish heritage comes from a woman by the name of Teresa Seymour, my great-great-grandmother. She was a niece of Chief Sell. Her mother and Chief Sell's first wife were sisters. Membership in the Duwamish tribe is based on descendancy. So whenever we go to an annual tribal meeting, my grandchildren, my children, and I all have to sign in as Seymour. <laughs> We're growing up, and when growing up in South Seattle, I remember relatives coming together once a year for tribal meetings, as long, far back as I can remember. It was important to everyone to attend every yearly meeting. My grandma, grandmother told me since I can, ever since I can remember, never forget your Indian. I think it was partly because she was denied being able to celebrate her heritage. In those years, Indian children were taken away from relatives and put in boarding schools. So she was always told, pretend you're not Indian. My children were raised to celebrate their heritage, and now my grandchildren are also. Before I retired, I worked in Indian child welfare and participate, and since I retired, I've been participating on the local Indian Child Welfare Advisory Board for this region. I have helped the city of Shoreline come up with a name for a new park by giving them the name of a plant that ancestors used, uh, the name of a plant that the ancestors used when gathering in that area, and it's down near Richmond Beach. And the name of the park is Kayu Kayu Ach, which is Lushut seed for Kinnik Kinnik which is a plant that natives used regularly. And the city planted Kinnikinnik in the park. So you can see we are still here. The Duwamish people are alive and well. However, we do need federal recognition to ensure our longevity, such as when digging in for new buildings, coming across an ancient artifact of some sort or treasure, 
They don't give it to the Duwamish tribe because we're not recognized. When you look at maps of the local, recent maps anyway, of local Indian tribes, you don't see the Duwamish tribe located. I find it disrespectful to my ancestors as well as just having rights such as children being treated with the Indian Child Welfare Act, which allows for extra efforts. Duwamish children aren't part of that, aren't covered by that. When Washington passed their Indian Child Welfare Act last year, I contacted legislators and said, could you include, the since the federal law doesn't include us, could you include children from unrecognized tribes? No, only children from recognized tribes get the benefit of these extra efforts. There's so much discrimination by not being federally recognized. If you would like to learn more about our struggle, there is a film that's going to be shown on October 29th at Lake Forest Park Library at two o'clock in the afternoon, and it's called The Promised Land, recently produced by some outstanding film producers here in Seattle. And that tells the story of the struggle for recognition of both Duwamish and Chinook tribes. And that is my presentation to you today. Thank you for having me. Kamastista. <laughs>